Hey everyone, how you doing? This is Amon Green, the Green Bay Packers all-time leading rusher, and you're listening to The Average Cheese, hosted by Dell and Todd, two lifelong Packer fans talking about their favorite team, the 13-time champion, Green Bay Packers. Go Pack Go! Welcome to episode 116 of the Average Cheese Podcast. The whole team is here tonight, Todd and Peter. It is nice to see you both. Peter, how are you doing this morning? Doing very well, thank you. Good to be here. today. Key word this morning. Yeah. Todd just got back from a high school basketball game. How was that? Yeah, the the school my son goes to is they look like a college team. They're yeah, they're good. Is Bronny Jr. on that team or whatever? I don't know, but probably could be. <laughs> thanks to Rhonda and the folks at RNA Management. Thanks to Dwight at DDGCustoms.com and thanks to Dan and the folks at Bob Anderson Builders. It is episode 116, Peter. Number 16. Not gonna be quite as good as number 15, I'm guessing. It has to be the guy. So this guy. Nobody's played more years for the Packers wearing number 16 than this guy. So it had to be him. A quarterback of our kind of almost Packers childhood. Not quite. I'm a bit older than that, but almost Packers childhood. Randy Wright. Of course, the guy that attended the University of Wisconsin. It was Packers six-round draft pick in 1984. So he was right there at the end of Lynn Dickey's career and played a bit in 85 when Dickey was there and Jim Zorn was there at quarterback and the three of them almost rotated week week to week, it seemed like, in that year. He had his one big season, I guess, as the Packers starting quarterback in 1986. He threw for over 3,000 yards, 3,247 yards and 17 touchdowns. Also had... 23 interceptions, but we'll we'll stick we'll stick with the yards that he threw for. Wow. Oh, wow. I was gonna say like 43 interceptions, but <laughs> and there were less games than noted. Well, well bizarrely enough, the 3,247 yards that he threw for in 1986 was the second most in Packers history at the time. Wow. So only Lynn Dickey had beaten that and only beaten it one time. But yeah, and then and then the Packers drafted Don Mikowski in 87, and for a couple of years there, Randy Wright, Don Mikowski kind of Again, split the the starting situation. Randy Wright started seven games in each of 87 and 88, and Don Mikowski started all the others. Career was relatively short, five seasons with the Packers, threw for just over 7,000 yards, 31 touchdowns and 57 interceptions, and played in that period of Packers history that we all, we all remember. I won't say we necessarily remember it fondly, but we remember it. <laughs> we remember... The struggles, the not such great teams that they were at that time. That's your number 16. Great. Thanks so much. (laughs) He sucked. That's all I remember. It's how badly he sucked. It makes you wonder at at that time in the NFL that there was absolutely no one else available than him. I mean, it just makes you scratch your head. I don't know why I have this memory. Maybe I'm smoking crack, but did he punt for the Packers? Not not, Not for the Packers, I don't believe. He didn't punt at Wisconsin, I know. Okay. Then I, I had to look up his yeah. Wisconsin stats. His best year as a Badger, he threw for 2,300 yards with 19 touchdowns and 18 interceptions. In college, 
He was so bad. The 1983 wow, was Badgers he? were not good either. Anyway. When was he drafted, Peter? 1984. Six, six round in 1984. Six round. Back when they had 12 round drafts then. I looked this up and we talked about this before we started recording, but my only memory of Randy Wright is when he threw a bounce pass to Al Toon and Al Toon threw the touchdown pass to some random tight end. Go look that up if you've ever watched it. It is an actual bounce pass. He threw the ball at the ground. Like a lateral? Yes, it was a backwards pass, but he bounced it to Altoon, and it actually worked. Peter, the only thing I can think of is you couldn't, but you could lateral it. Could you not throw the ball overhand in 1982 backwards as a lateral? And that's why they had to bounce it? You certainly could in pro football. Whether the college rules were different, I don't don't know. I mean, you could now. Hmm. Whether the or was it just such a shit throw and you didn't try to bounce it? <laughs> the likelihood that it was a shit throw with Randy Wright is highly likely. Like 99%, yeah. <laughs> oh, good old Randy wrong. I'm so happy that he's episode 116. So let's get on to the slices. So was it yesterday? No, it must have been today that Kenny Clark got restructured. Yeah. Is that right? It was t- that happened it today? Was today. Yeah. Yeah. Jones was restructured. Jair was restructured. Kenny Clark got a restructuring and Preston Smith. They all had their money restructured. Now, Peter, you said in the past that they do stuff like that and they don't need the player approval because they just take the money and it's an accounting thing. In lots of these instances, because because it actually doesn't impact what the player gets paid and when they get paid it. For example, if you convert a roster bonus into a signing bonus, which is a very common thing to do, the player still gets the same money on the same day. The only difference is, is that signing bonus for cap purposes gets spread over the years of the contract. Whereas if it's a roster bonus, it doesn't. It all goes in that same year. Now, in some of these contracts, they've added void years on the end to spread the signing bonus even further. Now, a player would have to approve those void years being added because that, that's a material change to the contract, even though it doesn't actually impact them. So I'm going to assume, Peter, that all, and I know Kenny Clark has void years put on. I do all of them. Aaron Jones had a couple of void years put on his. Yep. Is that correct? Yep. Todd, what are your thoughts on kicking this stuff down the road? Because Kenny Clark now has three void years on top of the two years, I think, or three years left on his contract. Is that a good thing? The only one that I, I had questions about was that it surprised me was Preston Smith. I thought he would be cut. And save the money long term. Yeah. yeah. And Okay. And I guess there's just nobody him. else out there. And Gary, you have to assume, isn't going to come back probably like at least half of next year. I think the so. Same, kind, of, kind of the same injury as Bakhtiari, right? And a different type of player, right? Like Rashawn Gary is going to have to... I, mean, I don't want to say it's more serious on a defensive player like him on the edge, but I think it is. He's got to be more athletic than the lineman does. Peter, thoughts on that? I mean, we kicked all this money down the road. Why do we do that? They're in the situation where they almost didn't have a choice. And, and I agree with Todd. I think Preston Smith would have been the one that they may have considered cutting or doing something else with. I, I don't know. But absolutely, I think the Gary situation means that they almost didn't have a choice. And they may have done it anyway. You know, I'm not suggesting they wouldn't. I, I don't know. But that would have been the more interesting one, I think. It's a needs must. They have to get under the cap by the middle of March, which they've done. I mean, about $16 million under the cap now. And this is all a consequence of signing the likes of a Bakhtiari and an Alexander, Kenny Clark and those guys to top 
number contracts when their when their previous contracts were getting towards the end. You know, and the Packers have gone down the route of paying their own guys rather than generally paying high priced free agents from another team. Nothing wrong with that approach. You know, that there's different ways of building a team, but eventually you can't pay everybody. You know, if the next guy that comes up wants to be paid at the top number in his position, well, you can't have the top paid tackle, the top paid nose tackle, the top paid this, the top paid that in the days of the salary cap. You just can't do it. Yeah, it's kind of a situation they've found themselves in because of what they've done previously. Pretty much had no choice now. And yeah, they're going to pay the piper next year and the year after and the and the year after that. And I, and I guess they're counting on on an explosion in the salary cap in one of these coming years, which I'm sure will happen, but nobody quite knows when it will be. In general, minus the COVID year, does the cap go up ten million? Does it go up five million? Like if we averaged it out over the last. I don't know, seven years or so. I, I don't know the answer to that, but I was just wondering, like, do they have an idea? They do kind of have an idea what they think it's going to go to, right? I've got a spreadsheet that's got those, that got those exact numbers on it. But, but I think generally speaking, if you talk in terms of a 10 to 15 million increase per year, that's the kind of range of number. But they're expecting one of these years to be like, 30 or 35 or 40 million increase because of the new TV deals when they when those come around. The other stuff that the NFL is starting to do with new TV networks and Amazon and and spreading the money around, if you like, or getting more companies vying for those TV slots. And they've also got social media stuff with YouTube and other social media organizations that that if they're not doing something with now, they're surely going to be looking at doing something with. So, yeah, I mean, there's an expected kind of explosion in the cap, but whether that happens next year or the year after, nobody's 100% certain. I just worry about the Kenny Clark thing. And we all know that I love me some Kenny Clark. Like he is one of my favorite Packers. Moving his money down the road, while it may have needed to happen just so the Packers have cap space, I don't know how much longer Kenny Clark is going to be an effective player. And I know that doesn't matter, right? If the cap goes up 50 million and they only have to eat 10 or whatever at the end or 15. I guess that doesn't mean anything, but I don't know. It just seems like a huge waste of money, but they needed to do it. Great. They're under the cap. You can make the same case for Bakhtiari though too, right? I think so. Just based on what he's battled to get back into to where he is, you just got to wonder like how much more does he have left in the tank after that knee injury? Now he, he came on, I think they must've done it the right way of gradually bringing him back. But, and he ended up having a pretty productive year, especially in the second half of the year. But you got to wonder how much longer he's got too. Jair's a no brainer, right? I mean, right. that's, you know, young guy, top of his game. Yeah. I get all of that. Whatever you need to do to keep that guy around long term, I think you do. Yeah, I'm with you on Bakhtiari. And can you think of either one of you think of a guy that they brought back like they did, not just the Packers, but in the NFL, where a guy got gradually played half, played half, played a half, skipped a game, played another game? Like, I can't think of anybody who's had that happen. No, it's probably other teams have done it. I just... I can't think of anybody. I can't either. And that's why it makes you wonder, because the Bakhtiari deal's not done. So of all of those kind of big four or five, true. Six, six players, it makes you wonder whether that conversation with Bakhtiari is more complex, whether they're asking him or wanting him to try to take a pay cut. That's a and great then they don't point. have to restructure him because the number's going to be lower 
I think sometimes you got to just shit or get off the pot. Like just let's cut bait right here. His contract ends in two years. Yes, it's a big hit for the next two years, but then it's done. That's kind of what I'm saying with Kenny Clark too, as much as I love that dude. Remember Brian Balaga? I mean, he had, he had what, two bad knees, right? And he was <laughs> he had still had everything. Yeah. He, he had a tremendous amount of injuries. He still was producing, but it was kind of like, eh. now I'm not trying to compare his last season with the Packers with Bakhtiari's last season, because I don't think that that's even in the same ballpark. But when he got there, the Packers moved on from him. He went to the Chargers for like $10 million a year, which is way over what he should have got. I don't even think he lasted a year there and he retired. And he was gone. They made the right read on that one. Makes you wonder what they do with these guys and how they measure that type of stuff. Maybe they're just going to let that contract ride. They know better than anybody how healthy David Bakhtiari is. Because they've had to poke and prod that motherfucker for two full seasons to try to make sure he was fit to go. So we'll see what happens with that. You said there are 16 million under the cap right now, Peter. That gives them plenty of money to sign rookies. It might leave a little bit of money for a mid-level free agent, maybe. Jadavian Clowney? I'm not on him, yeah. but I don't know. Peter, Jadavian Clowney? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think if you can play him in in the 4-3 now, and I know the Packers' base defense is nominally a 3-4, but I think the Packers play as much two-down linemen and two-edge guys, two outside linebackers as, as anybody. So, you know, he has to be an edge guy in the 4-3 in the if you're going to sign him. I don't know. He's one of those guys. He's a little bit of an enigma, isn't he? He had some really good year with the Texans playing alongside J.J. Watt and, and those guys. And you kind of still expect almost for him to be a 10-sack-a-season guy. And he hasn't been for the last few years. So I don't know. And I guess he's one of those guys, like all the guys in free agency, where they all have the right price, don't they? And it's about how much would you pay for that guy? You know, is he, right. is he a $10 million a year player? I don't know. <laughs> not me, ain't. Even if it's a square peg, round hole kind of thing, and you get him at the right price, he goes out there and puts his hand down as an edge. What do you care, right? If you can rush the quarterback and you pay him $4 million a year or something like that, and he, you get some you know, production out of him, I care how he stands. Two hands on the ground, one, I don't care, none. Just sack the quarterback, Davian. That's all I care about. So, Peter, you said that the – Majority of the combine stuff starts tomorrow to be Wednesday. Gutenkraus is there. Todd's friend. Text him all the yeah. time. Be there. <laughs> Interesting that the first question. I'd love to questions- just follow him around. You know you would. <laughs> he would like Become his buddy. Yeah. <laughs> but of course they're asking about Aaron Rodgers, right? That That's the yeah, whole that's thing he's had to answer. Like, not who we're looking at, which they don't answer anyway, but... It's all about Aaron Rodgers. Let's take a brief moment to just think, Todd, you're the one that dislikes Gutenkraus the most of all three of us. It's clear, and it's fine. I agree. Do you, His comments on Aaron Rodgers, what do you read into that? His comments are basically that he doesn't – they need to sit down at the table. They still haven't had the, the conversation yet. And what do you read into that? As much as I, I do bash on him, I, I do feel like he's – well, I feel like he's created this situation in some in some sense. But on the other hand, I, I think he's kind of like us and kind of like everyone else. Like, let us know when when you're ready and you come out of your darkness. I don't read a whole lot into it. I, I think he's I think it's actually truthful, I think, is what he's saying. So you don't read like he's gone or he's coming back. You feel like no. what he's saying is 
what his act his thoughts are. I, I do. And if that's not true, then he's a hell of a poker player too. So Aaron Rodgers was on the Aubrey something something podcast today. I don't yeah. know. What the fuck. I don't know yeah. what the guy's name is. Amazing sound quality, by the way, on their podcast. <laughs> I really thought it sounded great, whoever that guy is. Are they they're serving bowls of clay to each other? I don't know. They were in like months? some luxury home, it looked like. Apparently, this podcast has got more money than the three of us because his house was very nice. So Aaron comes out talking, of course, about nothing. Did you hear the podcast, by the way? No, but I, I did see some, clip, some clips of, of the podcast. Saw the the open wood fire that they had, or fake wood fire that they had in the in the room that they were in. And I mean, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like Todd. I don't, I don't know what to make of it all. I don't know if you guys saw. There was an article by Tom Silverstein or Silverstein. I don't know how you pronounce it. Of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. I saw it. Came out earlier today, and the headline: Silverstein. There's no mistake in it. The Packers are trying to move on from Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, but him and McGinn are both. Rogers haters, I think, right? So it's hard to to know. Both of them have said, McGinn and Silverstein, Silverstein, they have sources within the Packers and they are taking what they have heard and put that out there that they think Aaron Rodgers is gone. But who is it? Is it the towel guy? You know, it isn't Gutenkraus. You know that he isn't talking to either one of those guys. One, because they don't seem to like the Packers anymore. And two, because he's the GM. He's not talking to some local guy as big as those two guys are locally. Yeah, there's no way. It, it, like, this isn't happening. Yeah. And there's I'm with dozens you both of, you, of reporters and dozens of news outlets. They have a take on it and they run, yeah. they run an article on it. He's and retiring. He's coming back. The Packers don't want him. Like, they're, you just take a number, any of those takes, and you write an article on it. And that's, I think that's what they're doing. Nobody, nobody really knows, though. I don't think anybody knows shit. Yeah, um, yeah, and I, and I think when you get back to the to the media conferences, to the presses, none of the guys, none of the GMs, unless they have a complete brain fart and have a slip of the tongue, they're not going to tell reporters what's going to happen. Right, they're just not going to do that. The reporters and the fans are going to be the last people to know. Asking the question about is Aaron Rodgers going to be a quarterback? Is Jordan Love going to be a quarterback? What's going on? Do you think the first people to know are going to be the person asking that question? Right. No. Right. Absolutely not. But, but, you know, most of those guys, like I said, unless they have a slip of the tongue, most of those guys have, have a degree not telling you anything that you didn't already know. They're damn near experts at it. They almost have a PhD in it. They're going to tell you the opposite. Why would they do anything else? None of us would do anything different in that same situation. With millions of dollars riding on it? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, right. let's go around and each of us say what we think. You either have to say trade Retire or stay. Dale. He's going to stay. I think, I think 100% he he's going to be a Packer next year. I think he retires. You do not. I, I, really? I changed my mind. <laughs> so, so, so I changed my mind every day on this. But my today, answer you're saying is that? right in between you. I yours. think he's going to retire. You do really I, think he's going to retire? So I'm not going to say it because I'm. You don't want to manifest it. Yeah. You make it happen. So I'm going to say I'm going to say stay, but okay. There's a, there's a definite undertone where I'm thinking retire as well. Wow, I really, I really do. I think trade is off the table. Well, I, I shouldn't say anything's off the table, but in my opinion, least I think that it's either going to be stay or retire. I'm I'm saying stay because that's what I want, but I think that there's a there's a fifty fifty probability that he he walks. 
I am stunned by both of you. That's crazy. <laughs> Peter, don't you dare send me a message later saying you want me to delete that. I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, today on the day of recording, I'm happy with that. Tomorrow, maybe not. As I was driving home, I was kind of going over it in my head because I was like, fuck, I think he might retire, you know? And then I was thinking, would he do that from coming off of an eight and nine season, though? I mean, would he? That seems to stack the deck in the other favor of stay to me. But okay, run it back. I don't know. I don't know that he would walk on a season like that. Let's put it like this: if he doesn't retire, we replay this episode. We'll just—it was an imposter. It wasn't me. It was one of you. It was one of you guys putting on my voice. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's what we'll do. I will take the bullets for you, Peter. It's fine. Maybe the maybe uh, the three of us need a darkness retreat. Yeah, we'll no just thanks. all we'll all go sit in a room and eat some like, clay. Turn like off Stranger Things, we're gonna yeah. submerge ourselves in water in a sensory deprivation tank, and just keep everyone who's connected to our lives wondering what the fuck we're doing. <laughs> since, when are you coming out we, of there? And then, and then when we, we come out of it, we'll say. <laughs> Yeah, when the time's right, we'll let you know. When you mentioned the sensory deprivation tank, I would imagine some people listening to this thinking they've already been in it. (laughs) It's every week. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Likely. Right. So we we will Uh, emerge from our sensory deprivation again every week. All those people that listen to this and just have to go and sit in a dark room afterwards. Yeah, can't take it anymore. So this is interesting to me, and I don't know, this is not Packer related. This is Milwaukee Bucks related. So one of the owners of the Milwaukee Bucks is selling like 25% of his ownership. He owns 25% of the Milwaukee Bucks, which is, no, the Lazary, Mark Lazary, Alex Lazary, I can't remember what the fuck his name is. Lazary, his last name is, that I'm sure of, is selling his 25%. The Bucks are worth $3.5 billion. The Milwaukee Bucks, in a 500 to 600,000 population city, that's bananas, right? So the commanders are also for sale. I don't know if Snyder is being forced to sell the commanders or whatever is happening there. They're taking bids. I saw that the guy, that Bezos clown from Amazon, it might be one of the bidders for the commanders. Daniel Snyder is asking $7 billion for the commanders who are a shit franchise and have a shit stadium. I'm pretty sure they're going to build a new one, but that's still to be determined too. But they don't own it now. Like, no. Jim, that's exactly no. my point. That's another, like, maybe that's another cost. Right. On top <laughs> of the $7 billion. My question to you, Peter, and to Todd also is, at what point does it become detrimental to the league to have people with that much money owning the teams? Because mm. they don't care about the team or they don't care about their money. Like, I know there's a salary cap, so that does like hedge what a billionaire can spend. But does the, I don't even know how to ask this. Does it damage the league because the teams are worth so much money? Where does that put the Packers? One by no one. (laughs) I don't know how to answer that. I mean, as long as it's, I mean, I think the cost or the, the, the value of teams are just going to always progressively grow and grow and grow as the league grows. It doesn't change. It's just the economics. Yeah. 
As far as the commanders are concerned, I mean, obviously Snyder is a complete cancer, and he still hasn't been removed yet. So right. I wonder if you're, you're like moving. In this like, case. imagine if you're moving that type of dough, right? And you're like, you're coming into like a cancer. That that's a whole other thing to like navigate. Yeah, navigate and like cure, like this right. whole thing the that culture. he's created that he's fucked up for so many years when you want to spend seven billion dollars to come into a situation where you've got all of that to repair think of the years that that's going to take to just turn that culture upside down and then you have the added cost of building a new stadium make another couple billion for that yeah it's a difficult one isn't it because because the other way of looking at that is is it easier and i guess it depends on on where your finances are but if if that amount of money isn't a lot of money to you, to you, but to, to to whoever it may be. Is it easier to go into a bad situation than to go into one where a team's been winning for years, et cetera, et cetera, knowing that there's only one way you can go from there? You can only, can only go down from the from the top. I don't know. I mean, look at Jerry Jones when he went into Dallas. You know, Dallas had been successful, but had started to go downhill. You know, they hadn't won a Super Bowl for quite a number of years when Jerry Jones went in there in the late in the late eighties. It took him a while to turn that around, but they turned it around through draft picks, through getting a good head coach, through getting good players, et cetera, et cetera. And they did turn that franchise around for the, you know, for the whole of the 1990s. I don't know. And, and I guess it depends on, on what type of individual buys a team. And I'm not thinking specifically of the commanders right now. It could be any NFL team or or a basketball team that I know absolutely nothing about. Is making money as important or more important than than putting a winning product on the field? And I think that's the concerning question that somehow these big leagues and the same here, you know, same with the Premier League and uh, and I guess any any major sport. That's the big question they have to ask themselves. How important is it to have a winning team as opposed to to making money? I guess that's the deciding factor with your ownership group. If they're billionaires and they're just doing it because they want to own a sports franchise and then make it win, they don't care what it costs, then you want a billionaire owner, right? But if you want a billionaire owner and their main concern is to make money with the franchise, then you have what maybe what you have in Washington. He was doing that to line his pockets and he clearly did. I don't know what he paid for it. I have to tell you this. I don't know why this just popped into my head. You know how much Herb Cole paid for the Milwaukee Bucks in 1985? $20 million. $20 million in 1985. Now, granted, that was almost 40 years ago. But that franchise has gone from $20 million to $3.5 billion in 40 years. That's crazy. If he would have been the owner right now, you know what I'm saying? Like he would have went from, I don't know what that percentage is, but that's a really good return on investment. If he would have been the owner today, he could have sold 25% for like a 4,000% profit. I was concerned when you started going down this route that you were going to suggest that the average cheese bought that 25% of the Milwaukee Bucks. The 900 million? Out of the swear jar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm happy to say that I did not buy the guy. Um, he's selling it to Haslam from the Cleveland Browns. Oh, really? Yeah. So hopefully he doesn't take our Milwaukee Bucks franchise and turn it into a shit franchise like the Browns have been. I'm sorry if I dragged that all into the dirt, but I just think that was super interesting to me to see like that the commanders are for sale because it goes to what our next topic is facilities rankings in the NFL. 
You sent this to me today, Peter, and I thought it was super interesting. The Packers are the sixth ranked facility in the league, according to the survey that was put out by the Players Association. Just to finish up that statement, the commanders who are about to sell for $7 billion are last. Yeah, they are dead last. Dead last in facilities. And it's probably by a long shot. Right? Imagine what those other teams are worth. If they have decent facilities, if the commanders are the worst facilities in the league at $7 billion, that's really crazy. But the survey's probably got to go out to everybody who works in the organization, right? It's not it's just the players. players. No, oh, but, it is well, players. I don't know, Peter. You say you tell us what it is. I believe that it's the players because it was issued oh, by the NFL, the okay. NFL PA, and where they've put some narrative on certain things, it always says like, 82% of the players believe or, you know, whatever. So I think, it, right. you know, and it co- and it covered for, for people that haven't seen it, it covered things like the treatment of families, food service, nutrition, weight room, strength coaches, training room, locker room, team travel, et cetera, et cetera. So the kind of off the field stuff that affects the players, I get, I guess. And it can be found if anybody wants to find it on the NFLPA.com website. The whole survey's on there. It ranks all the teams against those things. And as, as Dale said, the Packers came out a very healthy sixth. I saw the Vikings were first, it was. which is interesting. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I would not have. I think it's interesting that the not the lowest score, but the second lowest score they got was on the locker room. We got a B grade for the locker room, saying that it it's dated and it hasn't been renovated in a while. So do the it. Hist- the historian, the fan in me wonders, like, how much do you do to a Packers locker room? I bet some of them have, like, tiny TVs in their lockers and stuff like that. Like, at some point, the Packers are this historic franchise. I guess you have to take a step into the future and make this better for players. But is that against the whole history of the team if you do that? I don't think so. I mean, you don't walk like a player doesn't walk into the Packers locker room and sits down on the benches like and says, "Oh man, this is right where Bart Starr must have, must have sat." All that stuff's gone. It's been renovated over dozens of times, probably. So it's a historic place, but like the things in it and stuff, I think should be if it needs upgrading, it should do it. Should be in alignment with all the other renovations that have happened in and around the stadium. As a shareholder, I can say that. Yes, as shareholders, we can say whatever we want. I was just encouraged by the whole thing to see that our, our team was as high as that. And, you know, one of the reasons I believe for the NFLPA putting this out, and it, it does make references to free agency and stuff, is to try and help inform players who are interested in moving teams in, in free agency as to, as to what the other franchises, the other teams look like in these particular areas. So that can only be encouraging, I think, from a Packers perspective. And it's interesting. It's always interesting when you see this stuff, when you've never seen something like this laid out the way it's laid out before. Well, in the Packers, because they play in Green Bay, their facilities almost have to be better because you are bringing players who, you know, they come from all over the country, but... They're coming to Green Bay, Wisconsin, and if you don't treat your players well and they don't have great facilities within the, you know, the stadium and within the whole facility, it's Green Bay, Wisconsin. It's not New York. It's not Chicago. It's not Los Angeles. Like you have to have a reason to bring guys to Green Bay other than that the team is very good, because when the team isn't very good, you need guys. That's when you need your free agents to come in. So I think it's very important that the Packers keep their facilities 
I want to say second to none because they are sixth, but you got to keep it up there in the top, probably top 10 all the time because God's not going to tell you to come to Green Bay. <laughs> Any other thoughts on that before we move forward? We talked about the poof go away contracts, the void year contracts with all the guys. Was it two weeks ago? I can't remember now. And there are rumblings that Mason Crosby is going to be a Green Bay Packer in 23-24. You said, Peter, though, that they can't go back, but that whole void year thing is over. I just want to clarify that. If the Packers signed Mason Crosby today... Yeah, so he's out of contract now. So the dead cap that's already hit the dead cap has already hit the cap for 2023. So, so in essence, it's a brand new contract. And, you know, if they don't re-sign him before the free agency period starts in the middle of March, he'll be an unrestricted free agent and could sign somewhere else. Unlikely, I would, I would think. But, you know, that's the long and the short of the situation. It would not surprise me in the least that they bring Mason Crosby back. I can see both sides of that argument or discussion. Absolutely, I can. I think you can make a case for bringing him back, and I think you can make a case for saying he's been fantastic, and now's the time to move on. So I, I'm kind of sitting on the fence as to whether that's the right thing to do, and happy just to go with the flow. Does the timing of his signing matter, money wise and cap hit wise? No, right? If it's after. It's going to be cap hit going forward. Everything is a forward going, whatever he signs for. Okay, so it doesn't matter yeah. if he signs after the 17th. The, the only thing that you would think it was, if he hasn't signed by the time they get to the draft, which is nearly two months away, and I'm sure the decision will have been made and he will have signed if he's going to sign. But if he hasn't signed by the time of the draft, they may draft the kicker. Yeah, do your rant. Tell us he's going to, they're going to sign the Michigan kicker. They're going to draft that dude in the seventh round. Be awesome. Yeah, then they don't need Mason Crosby. But even if they did sign Mason Crosby and then if they went out and got a kicker that they were enamored with, they can let him go. I mean, it's a, I can't imagine they're signing Mason Crosby to a multi-year contract. No. It's, I thought the, the drop-off, I don't want to call it significant, but it's very apparent. The last two years, I think that his, it, it is continuous drop-off, right? So yeah, you can't go long-term deal on Mason Crosby, which then makes it easy to get rid of him if you do grab, you know, grab a kicker in the draft. All right. Peter will be watching all of the combine for the next couple of days as he prepares for his draft guide, which Peter, I ask you this every year and I should probably know the answer. Approximately when will the draft guide come out? The average cheese slash UK. <laughs> the UK Packers draft guide. Yeah. Round about April 10th, kind of the first week of April plus a few days. And it's just about trying to find the right balance, isn't it? It's it, getting it out early enough that gives people time to read it, but also not too early where lots of stuff can change between then and the draft. So it's three weeks or so before the draft. Good to know. All right. So thanks for listening to episode 116 of the Average Cheese Podcast, the Randy Wright episode. Go Pack Go. Go Pack Go. Go Pack Go. Go Pack Go.